0: Hi, I'm Todd from Finish Line Financial, and this is Retirement Secrets, where we talk about what it takes to retire like a multimillionaire. Most people seem to have the same question when it comes to retirement. Will I be able to have the retirement that I want, or will I run out of money? And I can tell you that even multimillionaires have the same concern, because no matter how much money you have, you're not quite sure if you're going to be okay. It's one of the reasons why they often use alternative investments as a way to protect their savings and grow it. And today, Adam Konopolsky with Pomona Capital, a global private equity firm, joins us to talk about why multimillionaires and big institutional investors often invest in private equity through what's known as secondary investments. It's a unique and highly sought after approach that is difficult to get access to. Pomona Capital is headquartered in New York City and also has offices in London and Hong Kong. And as you'll hear, Adam takes a deeper dive to give you an insider's view to this unique strategy. Here's my interview with Adam. Hey Adam, welcome to the Retirement Secrets Podcast. Been looking forward to having you on the show.
1: Thanks, Todd. Happy to be here. Looking forward to, to chatting with you some more and, uh, and talking about private equity and uh, and and secondaries. Today, we're going to
0: talk about secondary private equity investing, which is an area that you and Pomona specialize in. For, um, for our newer listeners, maybe if you could, Adam, maybe give us a recap on what traditional private equity investing is and how that differs from secondary private equity investing.
1: Sure, Todd, happy to do that. So, you know, just to give a little bit of background here, um, you know, the private equity industry now um, has been around going back to to probably the 60s or 70s. Um, and historically, it's really been accessed uh, by institutional investors. So you have endowments, foundations, pension funds, um, et cetera. Um, and they've been accessing the asset class via private equity managers that typically structure funds that are uh, privately placed, that are limited partnerships, um, and that have pretty much a finite life. So anywhere from call it 10 years to to 15 years, and in some instances longer. And the idea is is that these managers will call capital from their investors or from their limited partners on an as needed basis as they're making investments into new underlying portfolio companies. Um, And over time, That manager will then look to add value to those companies um, through a number of different measures, whether that's expanding the business into a new product line, whether that's expanding into new geographies, or potentially um, even implementing some type of uh, M&A activity as well in order to build the business and expand within a particular industry. Um, So what happens is over time, as those managers do add value to those businesses, they will look to sell those underlying companies and provide the proceeds back to their limited partners from whom they initially called capital from, mm-hmm. right? So that's really the, the mechanism through which limited partners in private equity funds historically uh, e- exit their investments and ultimately receive liquidity for their investments. What so is, the, a, is another way of saying me. that?
0: No, no, it's, it's, it's a great point. So maybe for our listeners, it, it, I've heard this before that with traditional private equity, the exit is they sort of they buy it, Fix it and then they sell it. And so the the selling of it is the exit out of the underlying company. Is that's that exactly, another way of describing it?
1: That's exactly right. And this and the distinction I'm trying to make there is that the limited partner or the investor doesn't does not typically, or if if ever, really ever, has the right to go to the manager and request liquidity prior to the end of that fund's life. So for example, if you're an investor in uh, let's say XYZ private equity fund one, you can't go to XYZ private equity manager and say, you know what, thank you so much. I've been in your fund for five years. I've earned a great return, but I want my money back now. The, the manager is going to come to you and say, I'm sorry, you got to wait till we sell all these companies. And we, we, we then have the liquidity necessary to pay you down. Right. The only alternative that those investors have really in order to generate liquidity themselves is to access the secondary market, and sell their limited partnership interest to an investor like Pomona, who will then buy it from them and provide them with capital in order to 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 leave that that investment. So that's really the the structurally the difference between a, a traditional private equity investor and a secondary investor, someone who's coming into a fund in the middle of its life and serving as a liquidity provider to an to a primary investor in a in a traditional private equity fund.
0: So let me ask you this, then if um, if you if you're an investor and you can't outright get liquidity and under the normal channels, why would the the why would the sponsor or the fund manager allow a secondary fund to come in and purchase it when they wouldn't let the individual investor exit themselves?
1: So it's, it's a great question. Um, and I think what has happened over time is that in the initial formation call it of the private equity industry, these transfers, these exchanging of partnership interests was not something that was happening very, very often, if at all. Mm-hmm. However, over time, as as certain private equity investors, initial initial private equity investors um, gain scale and were making larger investments into particular managers, they were able to negotiate these points to the point now where pretty much in every private equity partnership, organizational docs, there is a transfer provision that exists mm-hmm. in those documents that says you can transfer. However, you need the GP's consent, the manager's consent before before we we approve that transfer to to ultimately happen.
0: So it's more commonplace today than once. Much, much more
1: time. much more commonplace in fact we find people secondary investors um or sorry people selling their investments mainly for reasons that have very little to do with the underlying assets themselves and more to do with their own personal situation so you could be a situation where you have a high net worth private equity investor who's in a bit of a liquidity crunch Um, and they may own these great assets, these great private equity assets that have been performing well, but they don't have the liquidity necessary to meet other liquidity needs or to fund future unfunded commitments that they have within their private equity portfolio. So what they're forced to do then is then sell their private equity holdings to someone like Pomona on the secondary market.
0: Okay, Adam. So one of the things that we talk with with our clients about is that investing alternatives is really for what might be called patient capital. Mm-hmm. meaning capital that when you invest it, you need to have sort of a patient investment strategy because alternative investments typically will be a longer term investment versus investing in the in the public markets like the stock market, for yeah. example. So um, but there's this thing that's called that we've heard called the J curve. And the J curve, I know there's a, there, I know somewhat what it means, but it means one thing for traditional private equity and something different for secondary. You want to explain that to our listeners for us?
1: Yeah, sure, happy to do that, and and also happy to hear you're you're, you know, guiding your clients that way when it comes to patient capital, because we certainly are long-term investors, and and particularly as it pertains to to private equity and and even secondaries is. You know, it's it's a long term investment, and and it's something that we expect to materialize over the over the long term. So it's good to hear you're you're educating your clients that way as well. Um, but as far as the J curve is concerned, yeah, so so certainly um, certainly a, a a private equity term that that I think we've all we've all heard and all discussed, and I'm happy to kind of elaborate on it. So effectively, what it's what the J curve is is trying to communicate to to people, or really trying to 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 display, is really the the relationship between um a private equity a typical private equity fund's return throughout its life. So the return profile of a single private equity fund throughout its life, from, from day one to all the way out till till it it liquidates in years, as I said earlier, you know, 10, 15 or so years down the line. Um, and the concept is, is that early on in a private equity fund's life, the private equity manager is out there um, looking for new for new deals investing in new businesses, and going through the process of really trying to add value to those businesses. And that generates costs. And there's not a lot of initial value creation at the beginning point of a private equity fund's life to the point where that fund can actually incur losses in the earlier years as a result of that. Now, what happens over time, as you get beyond the first initial years of a fund's life, those underlying companies start to to generate more value. Those managers have added value to those businesses and you start to see that in the form of returns and growth in those underlying companies, from a performance perspective, but also from a valuation perspective as, perspective as time goes on. So what you end up with is, and the later years of a point of a of a fund's life is when you really start to see. Um, the manager once those once those underlying companies have grown to scale and they're at the point that they can be sold, those managers are looking to liquidate those companies by selling them and thus generating hopefully at at increased valuations, and thus uh, generating 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 liquidity for limited partners and then also increasing returns over time. So what you ultimately end up with from a J curve perspective, the reason why it's called the J curve is if you were to plot the returns from um, on, a, on an on an act on a on a chart with the x-axis being being time and the y-axis being returns you would see over time that line and that plot would look like a j where it would dip down in the early years and then increase into the into the the year the, the latter years of a fund's life
0: so so in other words the reason it's dipping down in the early years as you said just a few minutes ago is on day one the private equity fund is buying a new company but they need to invest in it make some changes and that takes capital so there's expenditures in the first few years exactly before their value starts to be created and profits start to turn around so that j in those early years is part of the negative return uh, essentially whereas in the outer years it's very it could be very different
1: that's right Todd and then the one thing i'd i'd add here is that as a secondary investor what we try to do is kind of mitigate some of the, that loss that occurs in their early years, right? So if we're coming in into a fund's life, typically anywhere from years three to year seven, mm-hmm. we try to come in past the point where, um, or coming at a point where the where the underlying fund has already de- deployed a very significant portion of the capital that they've raised. So we can look through to the portfolio and understand the assets that we're buying. Mm-hmm. And then therefore we're coming into a fund closer to the point of liquidity. So what we try to do, what we hope to do um, by doing that is kind of shorten the duration a bit of the private equity investment and therefore accelerate IRR a little bit. That's kind of our goal. What we strive to do again, can't make any promissory statements here, um, but but certainly that's what we're trying to do by buying into funds later on in their life, kind of past that initial trough in the J curve, so to speak.
0: So you so secondary investors in in theory are coming in a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Some of those early upfront investments have been made to, mm-hmm. to turn, perhaps turn the company around and you're coming in once those have been made and perhaps revenues have started to increase valuations have begun to increase, but yet there's, but there's still potentially a number of years left. I think you used a term called duration, which I think is measuring remaining years that they might hold the investment on that, average.
1: That's exactly is that, right, Todd. That's yeah.
0: right. Yep. And, uh, um, and so you're coming in essentially after the the J curve and then exit would be sooner than is that I think you said it might be a little bit sooner than a traditional investing.
1: Yeah, traditionally. Right. Because if you think about it, um, if a private equity manager typically will hold a company for four to five years, call it, I'm make, making making this up a little bit, but roughly four to five years, if yeah. we come in after they've already purchased that business, you know, two to three years after they purchased that business, then our duration instead of being four to five years is only one to two years, right? To yeah. the point of exit. So, and those are obviously you know, very hypothetical numbers, but um, that, that's typically what we're trying to do is right. We come into a fund, not in the beginning when there's no assets in the ground as a typical primary private equity investor will do, but rather after that portfolio has already been constructed we know the underlying companies. We can look through to the businesses and make a determination as to how we think they should be valued in the future, and then fo- more fully and more uh, completely understand the assets that we're buying.
0: Okay, so Adam, I got a follow-up question here. Then, if if private equity investing is known as um, kind of has a reputation of being uh, perhaps a good place to put some of your money from an investment standpoint, if that's true. Then why are investors in primary private equity wanting to get out and sell into the secondary market? If it's a good if it's a good place to invest, yeah. why get out?
1: No, it's it's a great question. And this is something we get all the time. And you know, what we find is is that when investors are selling their interests in private equity funds, they're typically selling for reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with the underlying assets and 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 all about their personal situation. Um, And a couple of examples of that are, one, it could be a liquidity need, right? So you could have an investor who has set up their private equity portfolio to be what I like to call self-financing. And what that means is you have a situation where, um, or you have a portfolio where um, your older, more mature funds are generating distribution activity, and then you utilize that distribution, those distributions to fund capital commitments that you have to newer funds that are still going through their investment process. And if you've set your portfolio up that way, it typically works just fine, right? In a normal benign macroeconomic environment when there's a lot of IPO activity, there's a lot of M&A activity, distributions are constantly coming off that portfolio and that should work. However, when you run into situations um, where there is a greater amount of macroeconomic volatility and thus the M&A markets are not as fruitful, the, IPA, the IPO markets um, are not as active, and that liquidity from your more mature private equity portfolio slows down and slows down significantly, and you don't have enough capital to meet those capital calls coming from those newer vintage funds, you could find yourself in a bit of a pickle, right? So you can find yourself in a situation where you need to manufacture your own liquidity, Mm -hmm. all about because of your personal situation. And in those instances, you may need to go to the secondary market to sell. Um, The other thing that we've seen, and this has become more common uh, lately, a couple of things, From from an institutional perspective, so we're talking about pension funds, endowments, foundations, insurance companies, there could be very specific asset allocation targets that they have um, in their governing documents that only allow them to have so much exposure to private equity. So when you find yourself in a situation where, um, where, let's say, private equity has outperformed public markets by so much, and therefore the allocation of your portfolio is out of whack, you may be in a situation where you're forced to sell some of your mm-hmm. private equity exposure in order to bring it down in line with your documents and your and your and make your board happy, um, and make make the make make sure that you your your portfolio is allocated in a manner that is consistent with how how is intended. Um, so that is a it's another complete externality, and that's actually those investors are selling because the private equity portfolio, to your point, Todd, has performed so well, has been so good to them. Um, and then lastly, the other thing we've seen on the institutions on the institutional side, because those are typically the folks that we're buying from are, are these institutions, is sometimes they they have new they have new CIOs or new new portfolio management teams come in, and they just have relationships with different private equity managers, and they don't and they want to make sure that they're committing and investing with those managers and not necessarily committing and investing with the managers that the previous regime had been working with. So they'll come in and say, "Hey, we want to sell these these group of funds that are managed by these managers um that we don't have a relationship with, with and we don't plan to continue investing with so we want to we want to sell that that part of our portfolio and redeploy it to to the folks and the managers that we want to focus on
0: so it's interesting because uh, to to your, your earlier comment about why institutional investors. So, as you said, institutional investors are sort of the big boys. It's the pension funds, it's the endowment, yeah. it's the Yale university or Harvard exactly. endowments it's yep. Notre Dame's endowment university of Michigan. All of those big institutions tend to like the alternative space and private equity seems to be one of their, their favorite allocation um, um, investments. But if, 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 is a product of their success and they have have an investment policy statement says you can only have X percentage of your portfolio in private equity. Then by default, they may not necessarily want to decrease their private equity exposure, but for discipline purposes and maintaining investment policy statement, they have to,
1: right? They they have to
0: sell just to trim it and then reallocate those funds somewhere else in their overall investment strategy.
1: That's exactly right, Todd.
0: Adam, if listeners want to follow you or learn more, where should they go?
1: Yeah, sure, Todd, no problem. So um, I think the best place for listeners to get some more information about us and and secondaries is uh, PomonaCapital.com. So that's www.PomonaCapital.com.
0: Adam, this has been fantastic. Thanks again for being on the Retirement Secrets Podcast. Looking forward to our next conversation.
1: Of course, Todd. It was a pleasure being here. and I I also look forward to, uh, to chatting with you again at some point soon.
0: Thanks for listening to Retirement Secrets. If you want to learn more about how to retire like a multimillionaire, please visit our website at yourfinishline.com. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, Consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Individual tax and legal matters should be discussed with your tax or legal professional. There is no assurance that the investment techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Alternative investments may not be suitable for all investors and should be considered as an investment for the risk capital portion of the investor's portfolio. The strategies employed in the management of alternative investments may accelerate the velocity of potential losses. Any guest speakers, along with the companies they are associated with, are not affiliated with or endorsed by Finish Line Financial or LPL Financial.